In today's episode, I will be talking with Paul Shepard. He's an anxiety and mindset coach. He's a dear friend of mine, and I absolutely love his style of coaching. In our conversation today, he'll be talking about his own personal story, how he overcame anxiety, and you will get hopefully some real practical steps for yourself that you can take and apply for yourself to overcome the states if you ever or if you experience it on a regular basis. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Paul Shepard. Welcome, Paul. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you on there. We talked, uh, we tried it <laughs> the third time now, <laughs> but we managed to get it going now. So how I would love to start is by your definition or how you would define anxiety. Anxiety is a state of being which your sympathetic nervous system, which is part of your survival system, is in a state of alarm. So your brain changes, your uh, prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that governs, it's the brain's controller, it governs you know, awareness and logical thinking, rational thinking, spatial awareness. That begins to hand over to its reins to the limbic system, which is the survival and emotional part of the brain. So your whole body goes into this state of alarm. Your mus muscles tense, uh, get tense. Your uh, digestive system begins to reduce in function. Your immune system reduces in function. So many physiological changes in order to get you into a physical state that will get you to safety. So mental and physical state to get you to safety. So basically fight or flight. Yeah. So your whole body is changing because it thinks you're in danger. But with someone who struggles with anxiety, I like to say this with clients, there's no fucking tiger. So if you were ever in real danger and there was a tiger, then this, this state is absolutely perfect. Um, hopefully it'll get you to safety. But with anxiety, the brain is acting almost as if there's a tiger, as if you're really in danger. And it's so alluring. It's really easy to believe the negative thoughts, the feelings. You can misinterpret your whole body's signals, everything, leading you to over-worry and overthink whatever is going on in that present moment, or even about the future. And then Bayesian's tiger is there 24-7 because it's in our mind. Yeah, for some people, it can feel like it's there constantly, that there's something to be frightened of. So if you have a look at evolution, our brains, as we began to evolve, we evolved in very hostile environments. So our brains are constantly trying to monitor what are the possible dangers that we would face in our future. So That, they say that's the difference between us and other animals on the planet. I'm not sure if that's totally true, but I don't know if there's any evidence to suggest that. But they say that we have the ability to project into the future possible scenarios that could go wrong for us. And then we would try and predict, because they don't exist, So, but we would make up those dangers and then try to avoid them. And that's what was a game changer for our species. That's what helped us grow, because we would make up these dangers for the future and then try and avoid them. And obviously that in context, that was a good thing to do. But the thing is, like me or you, we're not in danger today, hopefully, but our minds 
I've still got that process. If we are anxious, the brain is jumping around looking for things that we could be possibly in danger from. Not men, not like physically. And for some people, that would be the case. More emotionally. How am I going to get ashamed today? How am I going to be embarrassed? How am I going to get something wrong? How am I going to fail? All coming from the whole body being tricked into thinking there's a fucking tiger when there isn't. And I mean, I guess there's sub, there's a spectrum of anxiety or low anxiety levels to strong anxiety levels. And I think anxiety, everybody, I'd say pretty much everybody already experienced that to one degree or another. Is that clinically described as anxiety or by when should you do some countermeasures? When it impacts your quality of life, it, it's exhausting having anxiety. I've been there. I've had anxiety and it it's confusing because you know you shouldn't worry about something or you know rationally that what you're worrying about doesn't make sense, but it you're kind of tricked into believing that there is an issue. So you can really begin to limit your life. I became, I, I fought against it, but I had social anxiety, for example. And just from that alone, you I'd avoid going out. Or if I went out, I was hyper vigilant. In other words, watching everyone's facial expressions, what they were saying, and what anxiety does is it, you misinterpret what other people are doing to somehow refer it back to yourself that it must be about you. So it's, it's an awful way to live when the reality is most people are not that interested, but you're, it's called a spotlight effect. Your brain begins to misinterpret everything going on around you to be about you. And so it becomes debilitating. And if, when you notice that your life is being impacted that way, so you might be um, becoming more of a recluse or anything where you're going into a, um, on a path to avoid. So if you're avoiding traveling or avoiding going to meet people or you're avoiding going, even going to the local shop, there's something going wrong with your nervous system. It's, it's too heightened for some reason. So your brain is convincing you that there's a fucking tiger. Might not be you thinking about a tiger as such, obviously, but it can convince you there's some form of danger from a negative fantasy future that doesn't even exist, but it feels real. So you you just listen to it and you just go along with it. And what can, like, I think a lot of this can probably be traced back to your upbringing, how you grow up or how you, certain key experiences, certain traumatic experiences that, that, that cause that or that triggers that. In your experience, or maybe even uh, if you want to share yourself, your own story, what is that some people have more problems with that than others? And how can you use that maybe to, to, to overcome that? Mm. Just, as a, just before I go to my story, a lot of the clients that I see have never had anxiety before. And suddenly it's come out of nowhere. So there are nervous systems like COVID, that put a lot of nervous systems under pressure, isolation, nervous system under pressure, um, having COVID, nervous system under pressure, um, our work ethic, you know, our lifestyles, anything that puts the nervous system repeatedly under pressure, which over time creates a compound effect, and suddenly they're beginning to experience, you know, negative thoughts, the overthinking, mind is racing, 
heart is racing, all sorts of things are going on which they don't understand. So they begin to fight against it and therefore they get to increase, unfortunately, their stress and anxiety symptoms. So it can begin to happen at any age to anyone from life circumstances. Um, For myself, I think, you know, the more that we understand about anxiety is that it may have been passed to me genetically. So we know that anxiety can be a genetic issue and if someone can be born um, more highly sensitive. Um, There was something about me which was obviously different as I was growing up. Despite being what appeared to be a happy-go-lucky child, I was quite hypervigilant. I grew up in a household which practical parents, but also at the same time, I was kind of expected to know that they loved me. (laughs) In fact, I think my mother said, I love you for the first time only a few years ago. And I'm just for anyone listening, I'm now 51. So um, that was a big moment. That was really nice to have. But before that, it was you were kind of expected to know. So my parents are very practical, but very non-emotional. If I was ever emotional, I was kind of shut down very quickly because I think my parents got overwhelmed and didn't know how to handle a child that may be highly sensitive. So they used to call me, when I was growing up, there used to be a TV program called The Incredible Hulk. And uh, they used to call me repeatedly The Incredible Sulk because I didn't know what to do with my emotions. I was overwhelmed with them. So I was shamed into with this label, the incredible sulk, in a way to just shut me down. So that suppression of feelings on my nervous system, that trapped trauma within my body, made anxiety much worse. Then I was bullied repeatedly in a neighborhood which wasn't safe, you know, physically attacked, and so on. And therefore, that compounding effect into my early 20s was, you know, a panic disorder, really bad IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, and panic attacks that were happening on, on, on a repeated basis. And it was, it was brutal. I just, I didn't know how the hell I was going to get, how I was going to have that to be healed. I, I looked at everything under the sun back then and nothing was working. I was very lucky that I did find a way, which is funny. Even today, most people I think are trying the ways that I used to, to try and heal myself. And I can see why it's not working for them. Which are they and and what works for you? Well, I mean, traditional talk therapy, and I'm nothing against traditional talk therapists. I, I, you know, have it as part of my job. Very good to help understand yourself. But no one taught me anything in regards to how to manage anxiety. So the, it all came to a head point when I was sat in the bathroom and I was going to take my life. I was thinking about taking my life because I just didn't want any more panic attacks. I was mentally and physically exhausted. And as I was sat there, I had this deep voice, this deep inner knowing, I don't know what voice it was. And I know people have different... Um, no interpretations, but this deep voice inside of me said, don't, there is another way. You're focusing too much on your mind when the anxiety is in your body. And that changed everything for me because I hadn't thought about it in that way before. Because traditional talk therapy focused on what I was worried about 
And sometimes I, was not, I wasn't worried about anything. I just felt anxious. And the therapist didn't quite get that. And when it came to going into social situations, there was no tools, no strategies, nothing for me to be able to go into those situations. It was almost like I was expected to use rationality to go and do it. And that's the absolute opposite of what we should be doing. But you created it in the first place, actually. Rationality, it's a mind. It's an all-active mind, no? Yeah, well, when, when we become anx um, anxious or when we, our brains believe that there's a fucking tiger, yeah, the prefrontal cortex, the brain's, you know, the brain's controlled or the irrational brain, that steps back. Because if there ever was a tiger, we should not be rationalizing whether there's one there or not. Yeah, we should react. <laughs> yeah, the emotional brain takes over, thank God, and then, and then hopefully will get us to safety. But to go into a social situation and expect the rational brain to work perfectly well was frustrating. And I didn't know anything about the brain back then. So I'd go into social situations trying to use rationality, and it's like trying to grip fog. You're, it, it begins to elude you. And before you know it, you're 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 focusing back on the paranoia. The, you know, I wonder what they're thinking about me. Do they want me here? What's going on? So I used to think there was something wrong with me. And, and I think this is where CBT gets it wrong to a degree. CBT, it kind of expects you to do the same thing. And there are, you can use CBT with cognitive behavior therapy. A lot of clients who come to me and say, oh, they've done CBT. Why isn't it working? What's wrong with them? And I say, well, CBT does work but they're doing it the wrong way around. You have to tell your brain that you're not in danger and you can't just tell it through rational thought. You have to do that with, the bre with breath work. Breath work is one of the quickest ways to help calm down your nervous system. So you trigger the parasympathetic, which is part of the autonomic nervous system. When you trigger the parasympathetic, the prefrontal cortex begins to have much more influence with the uh, limbic system. And therefore we can use CBT. Therefore we can use whatever we're trained in cognitively to begin to really reassess the situation. So basically first start with the body. You always start with the body. Yeah, absolutely. Soothe the body, uh, work with the body, breathe into the body, work with your nervous system to help calm it down. And I remember after the, you know, thinking about ending my life scenario and, going into exploring breath work and um, how it worked with the brain. I was just like, what? How has no one ever told me this? Why has no one ever told me that? A, I was breathing wrongly because I used to be a terrible shallow breather. I used to breathe in through the mouth. Never, a, a deep breath is always to the chest, never down to the diaphragm. No one told me that if I breathe properly, then I could calm down my brain and I could introduce rational thought. And that was a game changer for me, just that on its own. And that was, what, over 30 years ago? And I'm still telling this information to people today. And it, they look at me as if, why have I never heard this before? Which is incredible. Yeah, and, it's, and it is out there. And obviously, there's lots more people talking about it. But I think traditional therapy needs to catch up. Just recently, we had also a breathwork uh, uh, coach on here. And... Um... And we were talking about exactly the same thing. It's not really common yet. It starts getting out now, the power of the breath, but it's 
still it's still like in the in the early stages yeah it, it should in my view it could be the first port of call with anyone who's going through any stress anything you know to do with anxiety anger management here's how to manage your nervous system so you can begin to think a bit more rationally so that was a big starting point for me but also i was quite abusive with my body with food and drink and alcohol i used to drink caffeine all day um completely oblivious to any of the health you know health effects of it um and it was only when i began to really take seriously my health by doing research that i began to feel better as soon as my body began to feel calmer um my mind began to feel much clearer and that's when i began to get quite excited because through breathwork and through changing my lifestyle like taking sleep seriously i never used to take sleep seriously i used to go to sleep any time of the night or early hours of the morning by taking my health seriously my anxiety began to heal and that was exciting really exciting i mean that's that's a it's a powerful journey so the the major tool that you're did you always starting with to get people to work on the body is the breath absolutely Yeah, one of the first things I teach is let's just get some, let's just see how you're breathing. Um, let's just and explain the difference between the sympathetic, which is the survival part of the nervous system that keeps us alert, and also the parasympathetic. And just understanding the two, you know, like the sympathetic is like putting your foot on the gas in the car, and the parasympathetic is like taking your foot off the gas and putting your foot on the brake. So just understanding that, that we can, can control our state, our physical state of mind through the breath. It's a game changer. It's empowering. You know, if, if I was going into a meeting this afternoon and I felt a little bit tired, then I would do longer in-breaths in and short out-breaths out because that would trigger the sympathetic and that would make me feel a bit more alert. But if I wanted to feel calmer, longer out-breaths, then in-breaths down to the belly, do the absolute opposite. Just feel quite zen, felt quite chilled more relaxed. You can also use left nasal breathing. If you just breathe in through your nose, left nasal, nostril, left nostril, breathing in and breathe out through your right. It's shown repeated uh, breath work through the left nostril helps calm the brain down. It, it creates changes within the brain. So very, very simple. You can add some lavender oil just to deepen the effect within the limbic system when you're breathing in through the left nostril. So many little things that we can begin to do to help calm the mind and body. And is there like, is what's the number one, someone who, who let's say is on this scratch of feeling anxious more and more is maybe has never felt it before, but just starts because of life circumstances to feel it. Now, what's the, what's the protocol breathing protocol you would, would suggest them to try to give them something at hand right away. Yeah, so, it's a, so to trigger the parasympathetic, your out-breath has to be longer than your in-breath. Yeah. Um, you can do a double inhale and then exhale. With the mouth exhale. Yeah, so yeah, always never breathe in through your mouth. So double inhale through the nose and then there's a physiolog physiological sigh. And one of the reasons why it's quite powerful is that when you uh, shallow breathe, you trap carbon dioxide into the lungs, 
which can create tension around the chest. And for some people that can trigger health, you know, health anxiety, like, oh no, I've got a heart condition or um, I can't breathe. So when we've got this trapped carbon dioxide here, the double inhale, so one to the belly, and as you breathe in, secondly, it's going to go into the chest. The out-breath, you're breathing out very slowly all that trapped carbon dioxide. So inhale through the belly and the next inhale through the chest. Yep. And then very slowly out. So again, and or just breathing in through the nose and then just very slowly out through the mouth. Both trigger the parasympathetic, but a double inhale is really good at releasing tension around the chest. And the other thing is, not as you begin to calm down your nervous system, it's really important to, to begin to welcome your anxiety experience, which for some people can feel quite challenging. But if you think that you shouldn't have anxiety or you shouldn't feel stressed, that resistance is going to trigger more of your alarm system so that you're going to exacerbate and turn up the intensity of your experience. So when I coach people, I, I will say to them, there's no reason why you shouldn't feel anxious. There's no reason why you shouldn't feel stressed. It's happening. And if you say you shouldn't, that resistance is going to make it worse. So accepting it, allowing it to be there, doing some breath work, begins to soothe the body, soothe the false alarm within the body so that you can begin to think a bit more clearly. But it's that sh I shouldn't have anxiety. But if I look at, if I go through their life with them and they, they talk about all the pressures of their family, work, you know, their lifestyle issues, all these things, as soon as that all begins to come to the surface, they do look at me and say, oh yeah, maybe I, I can see why I've got anxiety now or why I'm so stressed. But the welcoming and allowing of it creates a huge change within the brain as well. You know, you're, you're, you're turning down the dial. I, I get it even for myself, like even in, in, in smaller issues. So when you, when you, I mean, it's a typical, typical thing then don't think about a, a pink elephant and everybody thinks about a pink elephant. Probably it's the same thing then with, uh, with anxiety. Oh, I shouldn't feel that. But why is it? Why is it that our brain, our minds try to hold on to something we actually don't want? I think that comes down to where we evolved for a very long time in hostile environments. So Focusing on negatives is going to come more naturally to us because that's around life or death, isn't it? Whereas focusing on positives is going to take some brain training. Training your mind, uh, which I'd recommend regular gratitude practice, for example, will help you begin to focus your mind on something that's more helpful. But focusing on negatives is actually natural for us. And being okay with that Being okay with that, that's normal. Normalizing it, there's nothing wrong with you. But if you'd like to think a little bit differently, increasing your gratitude practice can begin to change the brain's filters, the reticular activating system, which filters reality, shows you, you know, what your beliefs uh, want to prove right, how you want to see reality. You can begin to reprogram your brain to begin to look for things that are more, um, more useful for you, more opportunities, more potential. That's why I like gratitude. It's very simple to do. But you sometimes have to begin to think about, oh, what am I actually grateful for? 
oh yeah, it was a really lovely sunny day today. And uh, what else did I do? Oh yeah, I had a really nice cuddle with my partner this morning. Or, you know, oh, I've got an easy day today or easier day. So you, you begin to think about these things and your brain will begin to prove you're right. But if you begin to look for what goes wrong or, you're, or you naturally complain, your brain will begin to look for more things to bring to you to prove you right. So if you think the world's a dangerous place and it's quite negative, that it's going to pot, you know, a lot of people think, you know, um, that the world is broken right now, then your ego will just prove you right. It will just find you things to show that what you believe is correct. It hates to be wrong. So gratitude practice is a way of beginning to transcend the ego a little, help it heal, but also show it that, mm, do you know what? Let's prove ourselves right with the good things in life too. So that becomes an option. So first through the breath, going into the body, out of the mind, and then reworking like constantly through gratitude practice or meditation practice. Yeah, soothe the body first, relax the body. Yeah, when you relax the body, you're, you begin to think much more clearly. You know, when someone overthinks, for example, a lot of people come to me and they're like, how can I stop overthinking? You can't outthink a feeling problem. Overthinking is because your body has gone into a state of alarm. And maybe when we were children, trying to outthink things was our way of trying to solve it, trying to solve the issue. But going back into the body and just soothing it, calming it down, your prefrontal cortex is more activated. And we begin to develop that clarity, that clear thinking, where we begin to get you know, the answers from our intuition more than trying to get it from overthinking and guesswork where it usually sometimes it just isn't helpful because it's just emotional thinking. That's not going to, that's not going to get us to where we want to go. So soothing the body allows clarity of thinking to begin to develop and take place. And then you can rewire through gratitude practices yeah. and, and so on. gratitude. You can do CBT um, there's a whole host of you know, coaching questions. You can do all sorts of practices. Journaling, I love journaling. Um, you can do all sorts of things to begin to become reflective and think about, you know, good. In- you know, you can create intentions. You know, anything that will give your subconscious mind some direction. So, getting to know yourself. Um, I journal, so I'd write down what do I want, where do I want to go. Um, I can work through any type of issue just by journaling, asking some questions and seeing what begins to come to the surface. And by giving your subconscious mind some direction, because remember that's where 95% of your brain's activity is happening. Trying to solve it with the 5% in overthinking is pretty ineffective. So relaxing your mind, relaxing the body, moving into the subconscious mind. So I love meditation, hypnosis sessions. You can find those on the Mindset Change podcast, uh, which I do. Um, they're all there. So you can begin to work deeper into the mind. But when you relax a little, you're getting to work a bit deeper. So soothing the body is the best place to start because that will begin to soothe your mind. And then you can begin to do the work from there. Is there a particular order? Like first soothing the body, then like, is it depending on, on, on what pre, like, as you say, there's many tools that come afterwards. Like is it meditation, is it hypnosis, is it uh, a talk therapy, is it a certain type of therapy? How do you usually go about it? Or what do you recommend? Like if someone is completely new to this, like is 
Yeah, so I would say to, to the beginning part is, yeah, start training the brain to learn to start training the brain with breath work. So you can begin to rewire the brain to know what breath work is. And as you begin soothing the body, and, you, and I see it with clients here all the time, they're like, they say to me, oh, I can't meditate or I can't relax. I'm like, okay, well, let's have a go at this. We do a bit of uh, breath work and they're like, what? This is really, this is much easier. This is lovely. And you can see them begin to relax. And as they begin to relax, we can then begin to work with their mind a little. And it depends on what they're coming to me with or what someone needs help with. That's how you would begin to work with the mind. So it's amazing that when a person's body begins to relax really deeply, how much more rationally they begin to think about something which was worrying them. And that's really interesting. Um, also, as a side little thing, this is really fascinating, is my clients often point to where they're worrying. So what that looks like is the way that we... So I'll just explain about this because it is fascinating. When we worry and we're visual the worrying thought can appear right in front of us, like a big IMAX screen. So I believe that we evolved that process so that, you know, a small image of something we were worried about wouldn't really trigger an anxiety response. So the brain evolved this almost IMAX style, blown out of proportion image in front of us, which triggers a strong response to go into our survival, uh, survival mode. And it's interesting, you see clients point and they point in the direction of where they're worrying. And I'm like, oh, you know, I can't get out of my head. It's overwhelming. It's... So what I get them to do is with a bit of breath work, as they're calming down the body, I just say, you know, so that thought, where was it again? And they're like, oh, it's right in front of me. So I say, well, imagine it's like an iPad screen and you just move it away from you, just towards me. And as they move it towards me, the interesting response is always, oh, it doesn't feel so important now. So there's space now between them and the thought. So space is so important when it comes to taking back control. And if they take the same image and begin to lower it towards the floor, and this is an image that was setting them off like an eight or a nine on the panic attack scale. When they lower it down towards the floor, because they're relaxing the body, but still looking at the same image, we're doing what's known as unconscious landscaping. They're looking it down on the floor and they're like, oh, it just seems more insignificant now. Why is, I don't get it. Why is it feeling really insignificant now? So I get them to shrink it to the point where it begins to vanish and just disappear. And then we repeat the exercise to the point where whatever was worrying them becomes literally inconsequential. They're like, just can't be bothered to think about it now. Because we train the mind consciously and subconsciously to deal with this thought that was appearing out of proportion. And now we shrunk it and began to move it down towards the floor. So through the, through the visualization of this image, you, you move into the body. Yeah. So you're soothing the body. When you begin to work with the body and breath work, you can begin to then work with how the brain is worrying about something. So if I'm hypnotizing someone, I can do the same process, but with the, they've got their eyes closed and they're now in a, they're beginning to move into a trance. So when the body is relaxed, but yet it's experiencing trauma within the mind, 
they have more control. So if you notice, all hypnotists are helping people go into a deep, relaxing state, and then we're focusing on, well, here's the thing that you're worried about. They're doing it from a place of calm. They can see the worry. They can see maybe themselves going through a, a, an area of trauma, but they're now doing it from a place of being like an empathetic witness, which is maybe what they didn't have back, the, you know, when the trauma was happening, dependent on what we're working on. And are now able to work with the thought in a different way compared to doing it in a heightened state while being fully conscious because the body is in a state of alarm. So therefore working on trauma or something that's worrying them is much harder to do. And you don't even think about working about it. That's, I think, a, a big thing. If I'm stressed, I'm not thinking about the tools that I have available to get out of the stress, like breath work. Like, this is not the first thought that pops up. Only after practicing and training it for, for years, I can get back to that. Or Yeah, it's uh, when, um, you know, when I work with clients, I only work with clients for a, short, a, a, a small number of uh, sessions. Uh, the, the level of training creates that, I know what to do now. In other words, with anxiety or panic attacks, it's that powerlessness that makes you feel like, oh, I'm not sure, I'm not, I don't know what to do, so we just become reactive. But to know that you have a tool or strategy which can simply begin to dial down your anxiety experience and take back control, as soon as you experience that and you're like, yes, this works, then your brain will begin to remember it more the next time and the next time. So I say to people, you know, I could tell you the best techniques in the world, but nothing will make any difference to you until you've got that aha moment and you can feel it working. And as you become more confident in what I'm teaching you, I'm just not needed. You can go on and live your life. That's uh, the most important thing, you know, from public presentations to travel anxiety, to toilet anxiety, to uh, social anxiety, whatever is bothering someone. As soon as they start to become confident in managing themselves, That's it, game over for the anxiety. It begins to diminish and to the point where people can get their lives back. And I get to witness that on a, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. So I'm very grateful that my own anxiety experience woke me up to living life in a certain way, which I'm truly grateful for now. Whereas back then, of course, I would have done anything to go, not to go through it, yeah. But now it's it's been one of the best gifts I've ever given. Beautiful. And... Um... What are, I mean, maybe going a little bit back in, but what are, um, a panic attack is basically an overstimulated nervous system then. When someone is constantly in, a, in a, an anxious state and then the nervous system can't take it anymore, how would you describe it or how is it defined? Yeah, so it's that point where your, your brain is literally, and it can happen instantly. I think when it happens, it's an instant, suddenly the, your You can't breathe. Your brain has gone into absolute terror and you're going into that instant flight or fight response. Sometimes for some people, there's a buildup. And for other people, it's like I used to get them when it just came out of nowhere. And it's so your nervous system has gone into that instant flight or fight response. So like the short circuiting of the brain, basically? Yeah, it just wants you to deal with that what it thinks is that danger there and then got it okay yeah yeah i mean it's a, it's a normal yeah yeah panic attacks are normal um that's the thing about when people have them 
you know, because we don't normalize things like this, people think that they're experiencing something that they shouldn't be experiencing. When actually, again, I've never met a person where, well, actually, why wouldn't you be experiencing this? Because the, the amount of pressure you're under or your body's under, you know, it might be, they may be drinking too much. They may be, uh, they're not exercising. There may be, you know, that compounded with family issues, past trauma, all sorts of experiences. It's just caused the nervous system to buckle. And the panic attack is, or anxiety attack, is simply a begging letter from the body to say, please help me heal. And, you know, I will keep knocking louder. I will keep repeating these attacks until we deal with whatever it is that needs to be addressed. So in a way, as dark as it may seem, we wouldn't really, unless we had anxiety or panic attacks, we probably wouldn't listen to the message. I didn't listen to my message. You know, it was, I did my best just to suppress and just distract myself and but carry on doing what I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it. So there was no healing of my past trauma and I was living completely out of sync and out of alignment with how my mind and body needed to live. So my anxiety was a wake-up call to do exactly that and get back in alignment. But if you don't, <laughs> then we'll keep knocking at your door until you do. So panic attacks are, they're a pod, they can be a positive because they are reminders that whatever you're experiencing, there, there needs to be a change. And if we're all honest, we know we could be better with our lifestyles, the pressures we put ourselves under with work, not making time for past trauma or knowing how to, to change these things. This is what my podcast, I know that your work does, is it draws attention to this is what this is what this can help you heal. This is what can get you to think a bit differently. Otherwise, we just go into autopilot and try and live out life how we did before. And it's that's not been working. Yes, that's uh it's very true. I'm unfortunately we're living in a society where like I think when we are born and you correct me if you, if you like tell me what you think, but I think when we are born we very well know how to connect with our body. We don't have the separation mind-body so much. We are, at least we are, we are much more body intelligent. And we somehow lose that along the way. And I think it's the way we live life, our lifestyle, like, which is very visual, very digital. What's your take on this? 100% agree with you. I think we live in a neck-up culture where we are constantly yeah, we're fo constantly focusing on on what we're thinking and feeling good so we we become disconnected with our bodies and i think yoga meditation exercise embodiment work breath work all of these things begin to help us reconnect you know um I mean, when I was growing up, I was just thinking about the food issue. I'd, I'd had an obsession. I was, I was quite large when I was younger. My obsession was with, with food never really focused on health at all for my body. It was literally all about what it would taste like, what I wanted. And in a way, that's part of neck up culture. It was, I just want that and I'm just going to have it. Completely oblivious to what it was doing to me uh, physically, which had an impact on me mentally. But even with talk therapy, talk therapy itself focuses too much on the brain. doesn't really 
unless you work with someone who's quite holistic, work within the body. It's all about what we're thinking about up there and our values, our purpose, everything about how our lives want to be lived, how we really want to live is within the body. The mind and body are one. They're not, they, they shouldn't be really separated, but that's what's been happening. Unfortunately, yeah. And it's, it's just, a, just a mind we're focusing on. I think, uh, yeah, it's a trap. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. When someone likes to learn a more, bit more about you, to like they can check out your podcast, where they can find it, and uh, where should they find you? Yeah, just look at the Mindset Change podcast. It's got all my contact details within the show notes. Um, if you want to find my, my new website, which will be hopefully ready for when um, this episode goes out, it's uh, mindsetchangeuk.com. Uh, you can find me there. Yeah, come and say hello. But the, the podcast Mindset Change is all about um, speaking to people like you, Flo. I've had amazing guests on. It's meditations, hypnosis sessions, a lot of anxiety work. So if you're suffering with anxiety, stress, or any mindset change work that needs to be done. It's a good, it's a good resource to use for tools and strategies. They're all there, pretty much. They're amazing meditations. I do some of them. They are, they're, they're really powerful. Amazing. Thank you, Paul. You're welcome.